You're listening to Wired for Impact. This is episode number three with Steve Sims. Welcome to Wired for Impact, home to creators and entrepreneurs with a calling to make a difference. My name is Peter King, and in each episode, I'll bring you inspirational leaders that'll help you clarify your vision, fuel your purpose, and amplify your impact. All right. I am so excited to bring to you my next guest. He's got one of the coolest jobs on the planet, if you ask me. His name is Steve Sims, and he's the founder and CEO of the luxury concierge service called Bluefish. They basically make anything and everything happen for their clients, no matter what the price tag, no matter what the need or the desire is, Steve and his team delivers. Uh, He wrote a book called Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, which details this methodology. It's something that's gotten him a lot of attention, the book and the concierge service. He's been picked up and covered in publications like Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, the London Times, Inc. Magazine, and well over 50 other periodicals. He's worked for royalty, presidents, A-list celebrities, the rich and famous, and even the richer and unknown because they're, they don't want to be known. They're so rich. Um, he's consulted for major award shows, credit card companies, luxury brands. Um, He's also launched a nonprofit called Blue Cause, which has raised over half a million dollars for nonprofit organizations without taking any money for administrative or other fees, which I respect greatly. It's an honor to have him on the program. And I'm telling you, wait till you hear some of these stories. They're they're just going to rock your world. I'm excited to share them with you. So let's get into it. Here I am with Steve Sims. All right. I'm here with the Miracle Man. Steve Sims, how are you doing, Steve? Thank you for joining the call. I'm good, thank you. <laughs> you, you have such a fascinating life right now. It's, it's uh, as I just was doing a little bit of research and checking you out online. I mean, how cool is it <laughs> what you do? You must wake up every day. You know, people talk about waking out of bed and just shooting out of bed because they love what they do. I, I can't imagine you doing anything but oh my God, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. Is it amazing doing what you do? And, and for those that don't know who you are, why don't you just tell people a little bit about what you do, the elevator pitch, and then we'll dive into all of it. But Wow. Yeah. Um, I've never really had an elevator pitch because I'm, I'm just the, uh, the nice version of Ray Donovan. Um, <laughs> an entrepreneur called me the real-life Wizard of Oz. Uh, if you want to get married by the Pope in the Vatican, go down to the Titanic, close down a museum in Florence and be serenaded during a private dinner party at the feet of Michelangelo's David by Andrea Bocelli. That's the kind of shit that I get up to. So I'm there to give really, really rich people more interesting cocktail stories. Ah, well, oh my gosh. I was... (laughs) You, yeah, you don't have a uh, elevator pitch. You have a uh, free dive, like falling out of an airplane pitch. You got 30 seconds to, to wow me as we're falling to the planet Earth. Uh, so how did I do? Tell me what you did. Uh, who can rival that? I mean, that's unrivalable right there. <laughs> um, so, okay, you make miracles happen. How the heck do you get into that? Like, get, let's, go, let's go way back. Let's hear the, the, the origin story because... I don't think that there's a uh, a doctorate for that. I don't know that there's a uh, a major that you can do in a university to learn how to do crazy stuff. Uh, how do you not, get into something like this? Not sure there's an online course with a 12-step program going on anywhere. Maybe <laughs> I should start it. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but uh, I was um, I had two things going for me. 
Uh, one being brutally ugly, I was built for working on the door. So I was the doorman of a, a bunch of clubs and stuff. Um, that did good things for me because I got to see people uh, from mm. a, a, a grass grassroots level. You know, I'm a, I'm a construction worker, whiskey drinking biker from East London. So I know what real people look and sound and behave like. Uh, that gave me a good benefit there to know what makes people tick. Secondly, um, not the sharpest tool in the shed. So <laughs> I kept things really brutally primitive. And I grew up with the ignorance of the why not factor. So while everyone stood around going, oh, I'd love to do this, and then spending the next 20 minutes telling you why it can't be done, I'm like the emperor's new clothes. I'm sitting there scratching my head going, well, you say you want to do this. You have the resources to do it. Why aren't you doing it? Yeah. And I could, To me, it didn't make sense. People, people naturally talk themselves out of it. And you could try this at home. You can say to people, hey, what's the most amazing thing you would like to do? And they will tell you, and then they will go, oh, but that could never happen to me. Oh, I don't know how to do this. Oh, I wish I could, but I'm not good looking enough or connected enough. Or with. You know, they spend so much enthusiasm and energy on why they can't rather than why they should. So I was the guy that would be like, well, let me find out if I can. And you'd be stunned at the amount of times it could happen just because I asked the right question. Just simply asking. Is that, is that the big secret? Is that the... Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in with a story that's gonna gonna shit on your parade right off the bat. Um, I had a client. If you don't there. mind, if you don't. No, mind, let's go there. Absolutely. So I and this will also give you an idea of the kind of things I get up to. So I had a client of mine, and you probably heard this story before, but hopefully some of your listeners haven't. If they if they have, you know, get a coffee and tune back in in a minute. Um, but I had a client of mine want to have a high end restaurant booking in Florence. Now, this wasn't enough to excite me, so I wanted to go and see how far I could take this exclusive restaurant, how far I could take it. I ended up closing down the Academia Museum, which is the museum that houses Michelangelo's David, the most iconic statue in the world. A, yes. a museum that openly on the door says no food and drink inside, and I'm setting up a table of six at the feet of David and I wanted to see how far I could take it. So I actually got Andrea Bocelli to come in and serenade them during that dinner. Okay? Oh, my God. Now, we can all agree that is kind of like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Okay? We can all agree on that. Fantastic. Well, Steve, I, if you had gotten Pavarotti, then I would have been really impressed. Oh, yeah. Duck him up. He doesn't look too good now. He's been dead for a while. But still... Um, the, the, the thing was that, now that's a great story. Now you can stand up and you can drop your mic and walk off stage and go, that's what I do. Yeah. Here's something that actually is upsetting about this story. I never ask a question where no can be the answer unless I want no to be the answer. It's one of my things. Mm -hmm. And I always believe that if you get the wrong answer, you're asking the wrong person or the wrong question. Mm. Okay, that's that's my philosophy so understanding those two things as my philosophy there were a few people within getting this experience put together um that were naysayers at a bit of hurdles and i could feel a bit of friction on the fact that here's a a connected guy with a big checkbook and looking to you know he doesn't <clears> understand <throat> the true arts and the history and they're right 
I'm a guy <laughs> spending rich people's money to give them awesome cocktail stories. Mm-hmm. So I can understand a bit of that fiction. So there was this guy that was, I was a bit careful about communicating with. I was very limited on the brevity of my communication with him because I didn't want him to get into a conversation with him. And he came along to that night to watch me do this event. And we sat there on a chair and uh, literally just a couple of stools that we'd pulled out. They've set up the dinner table at the feet of David. Looks stunning. We've brought a piano in that they're tuning up because you have to tune a piano every time it's moved. Yeah. And Andrea Bocelli is stood there by the piano, just checking his vocal cords out to see where he needs to stand to get the best sound. Okay. Wow. All of this is going on in front of me. I'm still a biker from Britain. I'm still going. This is amazing. <laughs> right. And I looked at this guy and I thought, okay, the check's been deposited. The people are here. He can't shut this down now. Now I'm willing to enter into a conversation with him. Right. So I turned around to him and I said, how's this impressive? <laughs> Who cares what he said? It was already going on, but he turned yeah. around and he said, uh, it is Steve, it is. <laughs> and I said, has it ever been done before like this? And he went, no. And of course, my ego is just filling up the academia now. It's just about to explode out the walls of this museum. So I thought, I'll go in for the final tug off. And I went, so why did, uh, how was it I managed to get this done then, eh? Expecting my ego to explode with, oh, Steve, well, you're the smoothest, most connected. And he, you know, he turned around and he went, no one's ever asked. Huh. And it just, oh, wow. Uh, and I yeah. thought to myself, shit, you know, people don't do stuff because immediately on dreaming about it, they put up the walls of objection. They naturally stick themselves in a, in a hole and go, can't do it. End of subject. I'm not going to do it. I've realized, and from that night, I've re-looked at some of the things that I've accomplished, and I've actually had conversations with them and found that the underlying theme of how I got it done was yes, knowing the right person, yes, having the resources, yes, making it a win-win for everyone involved. But the key thing was that no one ever asked mm. for probably about 90% of the things I pulled off. Hmm. There's a, God, there's a huge lesson in that, isn't there? Just, uh, yeah, I think so. Well, not, not, not only not, not asking, but also just the failure of imagination. I bet if you ask most people, hey, wave a magic wand, you've got a billion dollars, what would you go do? I bet you most people would not necessarily know what to do. You know what I mean? But it's probably that too. So do you have, do you bring the imagination to it as well? Or do you just say, what do you want? I'll make it happen. Or are you coming up with ideas yourself? So we openly say in our, in, in our company that we've never given anything a client asked for. We've given them what they wanted. Um, mm. We get a lot of clients come to us and they will actually say things like, hey, I'd really like to, well, I'll give you a perfect example. We had a client contact us because he wanted to meet the rock band journey. Mm. And I have in my, in my book, Shallow Plug, my book, brilliant book, if you buy it, because um, <laughs> I get... I think it's 11 cents per copy. So I obviously need all the money I can get. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the guy contacted me and I, I say about uh, when, I, when I do speeches and stuff like that, ask why three times. Because most people will <coughs> say what they want to do to make themselves, self, make themselves sound smart to you. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've got to go, oh, why is that important? Why do you want to do that? Really challenge it, question it. And this guy actually revealed the story to us about how he'd actually done what he did um, and how uh, Journey had actually been a theme tune to his life story. And like all entrepreneurs, it's ups and downs, bankruptcy, broke, divorce, sickness. You know, the entrepreneurial route is not a smooth one. No. We all know that. It's a Ferris wheel. It goes from buying a Ferrari to having your gas turned off. We know that, but it's the <laughs> route that we choose to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I heard his story, I thought to myself, meeting them backstage after a concert, when let's be blunt, they ain't going to pay any attention to you. Is that really what you want? Mm-hmm. So I spoke to the band. We ended up sticking him on stage where he sang four tunes live in concert. <laughs> and it's now deemed the shortest term lead singer of the rock band. <laughs> so we take what people ask us and then oh, we man. give them what they, they actually truly need. Oh, man. I, I can't even imagine. I almost passed out one time driving, trying to hit a Steve Perry high note. So that, I don't know how good a day that That'd be hard to pull off, uh, even if you had somebody like yourself that made it happen. But, um, well, that, I mean, you, I I can imagine, have some pretty cool cocktail stories uh, in addition to the ones you've already told, of course. But, um, so how do you, how did you get get into it? Like, so you went from a bouncer to just, you just started making things happen. People just came to you and you said, well, why not? And and you just started asking. And it's, um, that's, that's so I had a very early philosophy that if I wanted to be wealthy and successful, I needed to have, hang around with wealthy, successful people because most mm-hmm. of my friends were dumbass broke. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, you are the combination <clears throat> of the five people you, you, you kick around with, and, you know, that was the result. So um, when I was working on the door, I was actually working on a nightclub in uh, Hong Kong, and I saw these regulars starting to come into the, into the club, and they were wealthy, successful. They had what I called success at the time, which was flash-looking suits and expensive watches. Um, And I wanted that. Uh, Because I'd always just ridden around on motorcycles with like jeans and a black T-shirt on, which, funny enough, is what everyone knows me for now because (laughs) I look stupid in an expensive suit and a watch. Um, (laughs) But um, I started... I realized very early on that any relationship has to have value. Um, if you look at anyone that you hang around with, be selfish and self-centered and ask yourself the question, what do they bring to the relationship? Mm-hmm. Now, I've got people that bring education. I've got people that bring funny jokes. I know people that I'll hang around with that they will never buy me a drink in my life because they can't afford it, but they make me smile and laugh and I love them and I always want them in my circle. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have what people bring to the relationship. You've got to question that. So if I wanted to get into a relationship with someone that was successful and wealthy, what can I bring to the table? And I decided very early on that it was knowledge. So as a doorman, I knew where the best nightclubs were. I knew where the best nights were. I knew where the best parties were. As these guys started walking towards my door, because they were regulars, I'd be like, boys, not tonight. This isn't the place to be. Walk down the road, knock on the door there, speak to Johnny, tell him Sim sent you. That's where you want to play tonight. And mm. I would send people off. And so I became the oracle of where the good club was. My managers then started getting upset because I was turning people away. <laughs> I told them quite bluntly, if they come here tonight, they'll hear about the party the following night and you'd have lost them anyway. So I then started throwing my own parties. And then it started being, well, 
hey, I'm, I'm traveling to England, Steve. Do you know anyone in England? And I'm going to New York. And do you know anyone at this event? And I'm going, and you find that affluent, truly rich people, they migrate. You know, mm. the ones at the Hong Kong Yacht Show are the ones that are going to be at the Monaco <coughs> Formula One that are going to be the ones at the Oscars. You know, it travels around. So I started by default getting these contacts in different areas mm-hmm. and people would be like, oh, I'm traveling to Europe. And I'd be like, hey, I know, I know some really cool things going on in Stad, in Geneva, in London, in Paris. So it just started to grow. At the time, I had no idea what I was going to do with it. I just knew that I was becoming a value to affluent people. <clears throat> and these affluent, successful people, if I could build up a Rolodex for them, I actually thought at the time I can then go to them and ask them for a job. And before mm-hmm. I knew it, <laughs> I built up my own job without realizing it. And wow. So oh, that's so fascinating. Um, so I, you mentioned the Titanic. I have to hear that story. What, 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 what was the Titanic story? So I had, uh, I had a bunch of people that, you know, the whole, the whole Titanic was kind of like being built up. James Cameron was going down there quite regular. Um, and, it's an expensive thing to send a submersible down to get the footage for the Titanic. So we asked them, could we actually send down clients, you know, because the, the submersible is actually empty. Okay. It goes down there, it's radio controlled. Um, and so it, it's empty. Now they can actually send people down there, but all of the controls of the footage, the zoom, the pickup, that's all operated from up top. Oh, so, interesting. We started sending down paid civilians, paid tourists to go down there. And it just, it just escalated. And of course, like, then the movie actually came out and more people wanted to go down there. But you can only actually go down one or two times a year because the conditions have to be <coughs> absolutely perfect, mm. including the undercurrent. Because bearing in mind, it's just over two miles under the actual seabed. And there's loads of different currents that run at different levels as you go down. So oh my gosh. A couple of times you can actually go down there. The rest of the time it's bloody cold, it's rough, you know, because let's be honest, the Titanic did not sink on a sandy sea, sea, uh, right. a beach full of ice, beautiful sea, uh, beautiful right. sand. It was a bloody great ice cube that knocked it out. So, I mean, the, the clients that wanted to do that, I'm assuming they have to be ready on moment's notice because you're dealing with the weather, right? I mean, well, what they do they- is they have to be, they have to be stationed out there. So you have to station them out there for about seven to 10 days. And uh, during those periods, there's about two or Got three times that's actually allowed. So you know when it's going to be, um, they know when the exploration ve- vessel is going to be out there. We book <coughs> it up, we get them out there, they sit on there and they get told, okay, tomorrow's great conditions. And then they go down. Got it. So uh, they go down and they actually see the Titanic. They get to go and I mean, oh, I've seen yeah. some of the stuff that James Cameron has done. It's fascinating. I mean, it's mind blowing. Well, it's, it's the same submersible. Um, it's the same one used. Uh, <coughs> you go from the light uh, penetrating the sun, penetrating the top of the ocean layer, and it gets darker and darker and darker till you're in pitch black, and then they have to turn on the uh, the actual lights for you to be able to navigate all the way down there. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. That's crazy. Um, <clears throat> how many? What's the most number of no's that you've gotten before you got a yes? What's the hardest one that you've pulled off? So, to, I said this at the beginning. To get a no, I've got to ask a question to you that you can answer with a yes or a no. So, if I walked up to the uh, the curator of the academia and said, um, "Hey, can I throw a dinner party there Wednesday night?" 
he can answer one of two ways. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm giving myself a liability by positioning it that way. Mm -hmm. So if I say, Hey, I've got, I've got a fantasy, a dream, something that will be immortalized forever. And I want to talk to you about how we can actually make this happen. What needs to happen? for us to have a table of six at the academia this Wednesday night? That's a far more powerful question. If they turn around and they go, no, they sound like a retard because it's mm. not an answer you can give. They may turn around and go, well, we haven't done that before. Oh, I'm sure you haven't. But that wasn't <laughs> the question I asked. Right. What I need to know is what do we need to do? Or have you ever thought we should do this? Or has this ever been done in a way that contains this, how do we go about it? So you enter into a conversation, never ask a question that they can answer with a yes or no, unless yes or no is the answer you're willing to accept. Ah, uh, got it. So, I mean, that's metaphorically, you're not sitting opposite sides of the table. It's inviting them to sit next to you, putting your arm around them saying, how do we work on this together to accomplish this amazing thing? There is nothing bad than <clears throat> getting them in the driving seat of what you're trying to do. Oh so my gosh, that makes so much sense. Them and you say, hey, uh, bear with me as well. First, first off, first step, I have never cold called, okay? Um, my website doesn't have a phone number. Uh, I don't have a way of contacting me. And I'm a great believer that I am of no importance to you, okay? <laughs> the best way to get you to interact with me is getting someone to introduce mm. us. If mm -hmm. I contact you and I say, hey, I can't talk to you because I'm brilliant, I'm wonderful, I've done these amazing things, you're going to turn around and think he's self-promoting, he's arrogant, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's full of himself. But if I get your best friend or someone that's credible to introduce us, now it's gospel. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, So I always get someone of power, of, of peer, uh, of equal, to make the introduction and then I get involved and I say, Hey, I'm thrilled that Johnny actually introduced us. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about this dream that's come up. There's this passion project that I'm now involved in. And I would like you to be part of that. So may I continue and tell you what I'm looking to do? Mm -hmm. You know, now at that point in time, you're giving them the power to go yes or no. And no, again, just makes them appear completely rude. And they've mm -hmm. already been introduced by a peer or an equal. So it's a case of, uh, yeah, yeah, continue. All right. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to picture the scene, you know, and then you get into it and you sell them the passion. You sell them the vision. You don't make them a bit player. You make them a participant in the actual fantasy and dream itself. Uh, see, this is a lot smarter than just uh, some guy from East London uh, biking no, around. It, like, no, it isn't. <laughs> it, it, it is the stupid thing. Uh, how old are you? 43. 43. Okay, I came, we're both around the same. I'm 50. Actually, bollocks, no, I'm 52. Um, <laughs> but we're both from a period where we are used to communicating. Because bearing in mind, you've only got to go back 10 years and we had no touch screen. Right. We've only got to go back 15, 15 years, and we had no cell phones. Okay, so all of these things are, are happening in, in, in very quick chunks. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. another five years' time, we probably won't have touchscreen. We just think about making a phone number. And it will <laughs> right, right. So things are happening at an exponential rate now. But we still remember what it was like that when I had a question to ask you, I only had two ways of doing it. I either came over and spoke to you face-to-face -face or I phoned you. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after that, we had fax machines. 
And then after that, we brought in emails. Now, we've got millions of ways of communicating with each other, whether it be Instagram, Messenger, tweets. Yeah, every day, there's a new platform of how to communicate with each other, which does nothing to enhance the way we communicate. It just shows us how we can yell a message at each other. Mm-hmm. The simple fact is now we need to get back to learning how to communicate. Now, if I'm in a pub and I tell you a fat girl joke and your girlfriend's fat, it's going to offend you. And you're <laughs> going to go, well, that's not bloody. And I'm going to go, hey, I'm sorry. But there's instant reaction. If I say something that's politically incorrect or rubs you up the wrong way <laughs> or is inappropriate to you, there's an instant reaction. Mm-hmm. We're losing the ability of that now because we say something and we go, that's funny. A couple of people laugh at it. We don't realize how many people we've offended. They do get offended. They unfriend us or they won't talk to us. Six months, a year down the line, they can't even remember what it was that actually bothered them as to why they don't like us, but they know they don't like us. Yeah. So we need to get back to learning how to communicate. I don't Mm. believe I'm a great negotiator. I don't believe I'm a great communicator. I just believe I communicate. That's interesting. So, uh, you know, I mean, you're talking about sales, really. I mean, you're, you're selling an idea, you're selling yeah. yourself, you're selling the, the thing. And, and, um, and you're right. I mean, I do understand that there, is, there are building blocks to that. And, and the idea of, for example, painting the vision for someone and enrolling them in the process, making them a participant in that, um, really, I can see is a completely different approach than how, you know, 99% of people go about communicating. So, I can, yeah, I can see how that that would be enough of but a it never advantage. used to be. It never mm-hmm. used to be. You see, the mm-hmm. trouble is, you, you walk down the street now and you <clears> see <throat> the top of everyone's heads mm-hmm. because they're all buried into their bloody phone and they're mm-hmm. missing out on the planet, okay? Mm-hmm. It never used to be. So whenever I do speeches and consultant workshops, I try to get people to re-educate themselves that um, communication is the only thing you can't download an app for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what's the craziest request you've ever gotten? Um, we don't. You know, as I say, usually they come to us like, you know, I want an exclusive restaurant or I want to meet the rock band journey or, you know, I want to get married somewhere that's just uh, amazing. And then it's us that gets crazy on it. So most people are actually scared <laughs> to come to you with the dream. They just uh. come to you knowing that if they give you the basics, you're going to go nuts with it. Okay. Yeah. It's probably the reverse question is, you know, don't come to you unless you, it's at least a little bit crazy and you're going to crazyify it from there. Yeah, give us the theme, give us the idea, give us the checkbook and let us see what we can do with it. Is there, is there something that you're dying to do that you haven't been able to do just yet? Do you have some ideas that are? Oh, um, to be blunt, I never thought I would have done you know, I look at 51 and like when I hit my 50th birthday, you know, everyone always says, oh, what are you going to do on your 50th? As far as I'm concerned, you should sit down with a couple of friends and a glass of whiskey and just go, well, did I waste it? Um, mm. And that's what I did. So for my 50th, mm. I did exactly that. I barbecued with a few friends, I opened up a, a really nice bottle of Japanese whiskey and just told stories. You know, mm-hmm. well, how was, how was the first half of my life? You know, I hope mm-hmm. it's the half. Um, yeah. And um I can't believe, I can't believe the places, the people. Um, I go through my Rolodex, you know, I get a phone number and I, I, I have to look him up in my contacts and he's, he's like halfway between like Elon Musk and Elton John. And I'm like, 
How the fuck did I end up with these people in my in my phone? Book, you know? so I really can't understand that I, I have that. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, is there like what are some of the the le- I mean, we've heard about the Titanic and the Statue of David. I saw those on your website and whatnot. Are there some that are uh, not as popular in your spiel that you normally give that people should go do? That's sort of off the beaten track. What's I'm, I'm looking for some of the like the hole in the wall places, the uh, the club at you know wherever. What what are some of those? things that people ought to do if they can afford to do it. Well, the sad thing is I can't actually talk about most of the stuff that we've got up to. And believe it or not, getting married in the Vatican and, and closing down museums are definitely in the top 10, but there's like eight other stories, which I can't tell you. Um, <sighs> see, that's what I was going for. <laughs> yeah, most, most of my clients, you see, everyone says to me, oh, you deal with the rich and famous. The rich and famous can't afford me. I deal with the rich and unknown. I, uh, I mm. deal with people that can like, run, run countries and stuff. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, for every, for every Brad Pitt, the financier that actually financed his movies um, three times more than Brad Pitt, that's my client. Um, uh. So I deal with those people. And for a lot of those, they come to me because they want the privacy. Um, mm-hmm. They want the anonymity. They want to be checking into hotels under false names. You know, that's, that's the kind of stuff I do. Um, gotcha. But I tell everybody <clears throat> that it doesn't have to be expensive. It has to be thoughtful. Um, so whenever anything's done, whether you're planning something for your birthday, uh, for your wife's birthday, for your boyfriend's, you know, just, uh, um, you want to treat him, think about what makes them smile and get two of those. Um, oh, yeah. if, they, if you know, they like music, then why don't you can like, you know, surprise them with a couple of tickets to a concert. You know, if you know that the first time you met, you were in an Italian restaurant and it bring back, brings back memories. Why don't you surprise him with an Italian night? Why don't you cook Italian? Mm-hmm. I, I had a client of mine. <clears throat> I've still got the client. Um, for about 10 years, every year we would do something for their anniversary. And the price tags went from 50 grand to about three quarters of a million dollars. Mm. And it was his 20th wedding anniversary. And he contacted us and he said, oh, I need something. It's the 20th. It's the big one. We've got to make it stupendous. And all these other big long words. Within the explanation, one of the words he came up with was impactful. Okay. And this stopped me dead in my tracks. I was like, all right, so this one's got to make an impact. Now I can impress, I can wow, but to impact, that's got to get down into your core and Mm. waggle it around a little bit. That's really (laughs) got to kind of disturb you. Um, So... I started interviewing him, talking to him. As I said before, we never give a client what they ask for. We give them what they need. And we decided to recreate the first time he had ever dated her. Now, he had tried dating her for ages, and she'd always told him to bugger off. One day, he actually got a picnic rug out, knocked up a picnic, champagne, got a boombox with really kitschy uh, love tunes on it, and he waited outside her classroom at the college. So that when he came out, he hit the music, knocked off the champagne of this like $4 bottle of champagne. And he went, <laughs> care to join me? And it was so cheesy that he was willing to make an arsehole of himself in the front of the entire campus that that won her over. Mm. Okay? 20 years later, we <laughs> created the first time he'd ever met her. The hardest thing about that was actually getting a damn boombox that actually worked now. <laughs> okay? but we, man- we managed to do it. 
That whole thing, and again, it was because of these boom boxes, was about 1750 bucks. So it wasn't expensive. It would have been a third of that if it hadn't have been the bloody boom box. <laughs> we did that. And you know, she walked out and saw that. I walked out of a car because we sent her off in a car. She didn't know where she was going. The car drove around for about 40 minutes and dropped her off at the park. They would set up this uh, picnic. Mm. She stepped out of the door. Now, she had drunk champagne sitting on a mound of diamonds. She had been dressed up in outfits, the same outfit that was being uh, walked on the Parisian Fashion Week. She had been red carpet on, on award shows. She had flown in a private jet to Paris just for a night's meal and then flown back again the same night. Mm. She'd done all these things. That was the first time I ever saw her cry. And when I'm saying cry, she fell on her knees because she couldn't walk straight. Mm. So that was the most impactful because there was a reason behind it. It wasn't just a demonstration of how much money we had. It was a demonstration of how much they had thought and how much they had cared. Wow. God, man. There's a... the thoughtfulness over the price tag is such, such a big lesson, especially for guys come anniversary time or Valentine's Day or whatever. Um, wow, that's that's got my mind racing about just. I mean, that's where the magic comes from, right? I mean, absolutely, absolutely. You've really got to get into that. That's the that's the that's the real value in it. You know, you've got, you know, if you, if you ask so, if you walk, I have a standing thing. If you can walk through the house and you can look at something and say how much it costs, then you're not getting the value out of it. Um, but if you talk to someone, you look at that watch and you go, that's a nice watch. You know, where'd you get that? If they go, oh, I got it on eBay. It was like fourteen ninety nine. Then there's no story behind it. Mm-hmm. But it's the one where someone turns around and go, do you know, it's funny. You should, I was in Venice and I walked past this store and there was that watch can never be replicated because you can lose your money, but you can't lose your, your dreams and your memories and those stories. And you, if something doesn't have a story attached to it, it can be replaced, lost any time of the day. So give something a story. Oh, that's fascinating. Do you, have you studied uh, st- story structure and, 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 the, and the elements of story? Is that a part of what you do too? Or? Yeah, I, yeah I have. How I do, do it by is I go to a pub and I listen to someone tell me a story. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, from, um, I'm from the University of, of, of uh, Hard Knocks, you know, uh, left in 94 with a, with a double degree and doctorate. Um, you're just going to listen. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you're having a conversation now. We're on a video. We're looking at each other in the eye. If I say something that's wrong, you're going to go... God, you know, and I'm going to be able to react to it, you know? Yeah. You go to a pub, you say the wrong thing, you get a punch in the nose, you know you've said the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> so I'm from, I'm from that period, and if, if something's not right, then it's wrong. So listen to people, talk to people, communicate with people. And I often say that um, screw Bitcoin, the biggest ROI is in relationships. Mm. There's a lot of emotional intelligence you're bringing to the game with with the storytelling, with the thoughtfulness. Um, it's it's logistics, sure, but uh, it, bringing the empathy, bringing the love, bringing the, the 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 desire to make dreams come true, I would think is such a huge component. Not only just for, obviously for the client, but like you said, for the people that you're enrolling in the process along the way to to bring them into this epic adventure is fascinating have you have has anybody come to you to request to do like a reality show this would make a yeah. great yeah, reality I, show I, you know 
I've been in Hollywood. I live here in Los Angeles. And so I've been living in Hollywood for, uh, what's it been now? I think 12 years. Um, yeah, about 12 years. I think I've seen the inside of most studios. Um, and uh, they're like, oh, we should do a show on you. We should. If you think of every show that you've ever seen where it works on the rich and famous, they're ridiculed. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want to go out of business, then yeah, sure as hell, I'll do one of those shows. Mm. Um, but I guarantee you, the second I start doing one of those shows, I've lost the money makers. I've lost the people yeah. that truly pay me. <clears throat> and I end up with the people that I don't want to be working with. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, oh my gosh. I have, I have a million questions and none of them are coming to me right now because I'm just so overwhelmed with this idea. Cause it's t- like I said at the beginning, before we started recording, like, I would love to be doing this every day to just make dreams come true. That's fantastic. So, exactly. Yeah, so that's the dumb thing. That, and I've <laughs> often said this to people and it, it's become a standardized line. I'm a whiskey drinking biker from East London and I'm doing this. You're already out of excuses. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you might be selling yourself a little short on that. I mean, I, I get that there's, that there's some simplicity to it, but, you, you, I mean, to pull, to pull this off, you have to have a pretty big heart. Like you just seem like you have a really big heart to just want to be doing this in the first place and to have fun doing it and, and, you know, be able to make dreams come true. Like that is the ultimate, uh, wizard of Oz. I, I would think, do you have, how many employees do you have? Do you have people helping you out doing all this or? Yeah, you have to, you have to have a team. You have to have dreamers. You have to have back office and uh, people for the statistics and stuff. Um, you have to have a good core, uh, over the years, I've become very, very good at delegation. Um, so I have a great outsource team as I need it. Um, but my core group's like 12 people and that's more than adequate. Yeah. And you mentioned a little bit before about cost. Did you have, I'm assuming every, uh, request that comes in is kind of a custom thing or do you have a, a standard fee or how do you, how does that work? Well, the concierge business, we have, uh, we have a couple of points of entry. Um, for a start, it's $5,000. And for $5,000, you get our phone number. Um, mm. <laughs> there you go, that's that. So mm-hmm. we interview you once we've accepted that uh, you have dreams and resources to fulfill those dreams. Uh, you have desires and you're the right kind of person we want to deal with. Then we accept you as a member and we charge you $5,000. Once that's done, absolutely everything from that point is an additional payment. Mm-hmm. Um, so the five grand quite simply is just to get our phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing a little bit. Did, did you have siblings? Are you, no, I'm, only I'm child? Only, only child. Um, again, this, I lived in the era where we had like four TV shows, uh, four TV stations. Right. So, you know, the evenings weren't exactly sitting in front of a computer playing Fortnite. They were out, you know, kicking a, kicking a football around or, you know, mugging someone you know it was east london um right i didn't mug anyone so i can confirm that um but you know it was the kind of days where you were just kids running around the streets you know that's that Mm -hmm. was that was my upbringing and it was absolutely fine for that yeah um i would imagine just that creativity or, or you know i've had a few other people on the podcast where they were you know one guy was an ex con and how just that culture brought him in because of family issues or whatever and and how that actually has now opened doors for him because of that's why I say like your your background having sort of that rough upbringing 
I'm sure has served you to, to not take oh, no for answers to, to, you I know. Had, um, you know, my dad, I remember when I finished school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, so I did nothing for the first day of leaving school. And then the following <laughs> day, he woke me up at four o'clock in the morning. He said, you're coming on a building site with me. That was it. I never had any choice. I just was dragged out of bed, hating life. Um, and we would then drive like an hour and a half to get to a building site, work our bones off, get peed on from the bloody rain, um, get your hands smacked up because of the bricks, and then drive home at seven o'clock at night in time for like a, a meal and shower and die into bed. Uh, and then four o'clock in the morning, woke up again. I remember as I grew up, uh, hating loathing my life um i will say openly i disliked my family because mm. i was poor and i had nothing and i was resentful and it wasn't until i hit my mid-20s that i realized how wealthy i was because i mm. knew what it was like to get up at four o'clock in the morning now i can't have a client now in japan or you know bali or you know wherever and if I've got to jump up at 1.30 in the morning to have a phone call with them, I'll do that. Why? Because it's far easier than getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and getting pissed on and, you know, ruining <laughs> your hands on bricks. Mm. I learned very early on what hard work was like. Mm -hmm. And I realized how wealthy I was to be taught that lesson, to know what hard work's like. So mm -hmm. I think I had a very wealthy upbringing. I didn't take anything for granted. I go out for a meal now with my family. I put my credit card down and I pay for that meal and I have a little wink at myself and I have a little smile knowing that mm. I've put myself in a position to have to, uh, to be able to not worry if that card goes, eh, eh, been denied. So mm. you do, you know, you jump on, I walk on a plane and I've flown first class. I fly business class everywhere now because I don't have the need for, for first class, but I don't want to be in coach. And I sit down in that business class seat and I go, thank you for, for teaching me the lessons that enabled me to be here. And mm. so I don't take it for granted. I absolutely do not. I bought a washing machine this morning. Uh, <laughs> I know it's funny, but my washing machine broke last night. And my yeah. wife's moaning at me because of the washing machine. I went, so what washing machine do you want? She went, that one. So I phoned up this morning. We bought it and it's been delivered on about a week's time. And I took a smile that I'm in a position that I can buy a washing machine without first needing to look at whether or not I can pay the mortgage that month. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what would be something that's surprising uh, you, you dealing with the clientele that you deal with? What would be something surprising that, that most people, cause a lot of people have a, a thought of what quote unquote rich people, wealth, pe wealthy people are. What would be something surprising in your mind um, that, that, that your clientele have uniquely in common? Uh they, know, they don't accept no, well, I won't say they don't accept no for an answer. They can't see no. Um, a lot of them, instead of looking at the solution, will look at why there was the problem there in the first place and try to attack the cancer at its root. Mm. Um, that, I found, is synonymous uh, with most mm. of the people I deal with. I also notice that there's a misconception that rich people are intelligent. Rich people are intelligent and proficient and excellent, usually at one or two things. Mm. The rest of their life is just as screwed up as everyone else's. Mm -hmm. And the good thing about the people I deal with is I deal with successful entrepreneurs, whether it be a financier for films here in Hollywood, whether it be someone that's launched a major company in China or Poland or Russia. Um, they know what it's like. 
they know what it's like to like have to eat yesterday's leftovers. Mm-hmm. Most of my clients, 99.9% of my clients, and maybe that's because of me, are self-made. They know what it's like to, in their head, be adding up uh, the groceries in a store so that they make sure they got enough money in their pocket. They feel that. Now, mm. you remember that pain. You see, when you're wealthy, it eliminates problems. It eliminates stress. It eliminates pain. There's no emotion for that elimination. But you know what the pain of calculating how much the bread is to remember if you've got enough money in your wallet. Mm-hmm. So avoid the pain and remember it. Never let it go. Never let that pain go away because that's what's going to drive you. And I find that's true in a lot of my people. Mm. That's interesting. Um, do you just set yourself up for... <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what you would do for your own anniversary. I can imagine you taking you know, your wife to the moon or something and having her be like, well, you know, I thought we were going to do something special this time, but you, know, you only took me to the moon. How, how high is the bar that you have to set each time you guys have an anniversary? <laughs> well, the good thing is... Um, we don't buy presents. Um, we always do experiences. But mm-hmm. the, the experiences, are like I've never promoted them on any of my social feeds um, because it's, it's not your business. Um, they're intimate to us. So, you know, I may find a nice restaurant and I know that she may like, I don't know, Italian food. Rather than take her to a restaurant, I'll take her to the chef's table where, of a restaurant where she's got to make her own Italian food. And we'll learn mm. how to make ravioli that night. Um, what people don't realize about me is I'm actually very, very boring. I'm only on this show because I work with incredible people and I've got incredible stories because of that. And I've, I've learned incredible lessons from it and I've written a book and blah. But those are the only reasons. If it wasn't for those people, I wouldn't be on this show. Sure. Um, so when I go out with the family, both me and my wife, we're, we're actually quite introverted. Um, we like to, we do things if there's a point, you know, I'm not there to, like, I don't have a car. I ride motorcycles all the time. Mm. Um, I don't need a car to impress you. I don't need to impress you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do what I do. And if you want me to do something, I'll do it. But if you want me to, to impress your stories by being me in it, that ain't going to happen. So whenever we do anything with a family, it's literally that it's with the family it's barbecuing. I have a lovely barbecue up here in my house. Very few people ever get to come to my home, uh, but those that do are within my inner circle. So I'm just very low key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that, that makes sense. Bear, um, bear in mind, I'm flying around the planet, whether it be doing speaking gigs or whether it be doing a consultant or whether working for my clients. So we get to do all of this stuff every right. month. You know, right. my, my wife and I sat down this morning because um, as I say, I do a lot of speaking now. And we looked at it this morning. To, I said to her just off the hook, I said, oh, what speaking gigs do we have confirmed and paid for for um, 2019? And she said, well, you've got a bunch of inquiries, but at the moment, you've only got four for the first quarter. And I went, oh, that's not bad. You know, four paid speaking gigs for the first quarter. She went, yeah, Las Vegas, Mexico, uh, Chicago, and Thailand. So within the first quarter of next year, I mean, you know, including mine, three different countries. So yeah. that's pretty damn cool. It is pretty damn cool. <laughs> um, so the name, you mentioned the book a little bit earlier, I don't, but you forgot to say the name. The name of the book uh, is? It's uh, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. 
You know how to make things happen. And so the structure, uh, if you could remind our listeners what the structure is overall, I know we've touched on a lot of it over the call, but what's the structure of making things happen? Obviously asking in a different way. Yeah. So, and that, that probably helps with the history of the book. I'd been asked to do a book revealing the, uh, the rich and powerful and, uh, you know, who they were. Hmm. And as I said to you earlier, if I actually did that, I'd be dead by cocktail hour. Um, <laughs> so instead, we wrote a book not on who I do, do it with, but how I do it. Mm-hmm. So we actually do break down the structure of um, how to ask why three times. Um, uh, if you're getting a no, uh, or if you're not getting anywhere, you're asking the wrong person, the wrong question, or you've got the wrong message. Um, mm-hmm. So it breaks it down on how to actually bring back the power of communication, how to uh, um, you know, be persistent, but be passionate. Um, mm. If you're just persistent with no passion, that's called pushy, okay? Mm-hmm. But if you're passionate, I've noticed that people want to be around passionate people. They want to smile with smiling people. If you've got a guy next to you that can't even speak your language, he tells another guy next to him that can't speak your language a joke, and they both start laughing, what do you do? You can't help but smile. You have mm-hmm. no idea what they said. You have no idea what the joke was about. You can't even understand what the bloody people are saying. <laughs> you will end up smiling. It's yeah. just something that happens inside you. They say misery attracts misery. Correct. But, but passion attracts passion just as much. Do you, you've talked a lot about things um, making a point and having a sense of purpose. How do you define purpose? Do you have a, do you have a sense for how you put that together? Um, you think- I, I'm selfish. Um, if there's no point, there's no purpose. Um, and the point has to benefit, has to benefit me, my family. Um, so I look at it, and Joe Polish actually put it best. Um, I remember speaking to Joe Polish about this dilemma that I had in my business. And I went through, I don't know, this 20-minute um, barrage of kind of like, oh, I've got this problem, I've got this, and this isn't working, and I don't know about this. And he just bloody ignored me for 20 minutes, and then just turned around and he said, is the juice worth the squeeze? <laughs> and I just thought, crap. Yeah. So um, that was, uh, he's again one of those uh, smart people that I surround myself with. And so now, quite simply, before I actually start putting a business plan together or before I get into anything, I do ask myself, is it worth the squeeze? Yeah. What am I going to get out of this? Am I going to get a lot of money out of it? Am I going to get a lot of heartache out of it? Am I going to get a lot of friction, a lot of tension? Is there going to be a great story at the end? I'm very selfish. I ask myself, is it worth it? And before mm-hmm. I do anything, I ask myself that question. So, I, I mean, I, I would expect at this point that the money is obviously nice, but um, what, is it, how does it, what does it feel like to be able to pull something like this off to help somebody achieve their dreams? I would think that that would be a big part of your purpose too, is to be able to see the unthinkable manifest itself in front of you and, and have these things play out. I can't even imagine what it would feel like to see, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, the Italian singer, but oh, uh, I, I can't even imagine just sitting there going, watching him sing and them die. Like how amazing is that to be a director for life? So I actually was sat next to, so in, let me give you, have you been to Florence to the academia? Yes. Okay. So in the academia for the people that haven't, there's Michelangelo's David, which is the most iconic statue in the planet. And behind him, the, um, 
the museum actually curves and there's a pedestal built into the wall where you can sit and look at the rear and the side profile of David. I'm sat on that pedestal next to Andrea Bocelli and next to Veronica Bocelli, his wife. Okay. And we're chatting away and I look up and there's, there's David and I look to the right and I see them just finishing off the table. And all of a sudden I went into a cold sweat, literally just my body just started convulsing and uh, you know, I wasn't falling off the pedestal or anything, but I was almost shaking at this cold. Andrea actually felt it and said something to his wife. And she said, are you okay? And I said to her, I've just realized where I am, what I've pulled off and who I'm next to. Uh, just hit me. Uh, and you're right. If you can think of every happy moment of your life hitting you at one second, that's what a lot of these things do. When a client goes up there and he's beaming, because he's on stage with his favorite rock star or he's getting a, a, a drum lesson by Guns N' Roses or a guitar lesson by a, a guitar hero or walking the white carpet at Elton John's Oscar party. And I'm the kid that made that happen. And they're the ones getting all the photographs. They're the ones that are posting it on Instagram. And they're the ones that are telling the stories. Like I've been in rooms where I'm hearing a client tell the story of what they did Knowing that I'm the guy that put it together, yeah. and I can just flow <laughs> by, and no one knows who I am. I'm just the ugly fellow at the party, <laughs> and I'm the guy that actually made it made it happen. Yeah, you're right. That that's what keeps me going. That's a that's an introvert's wet dream right there. To to be able to to be on the circumference of it all, but have zero spotlight and walk outside and have be a total stranger. That's oh yeah, phenomenal. Was, you know, we we've, we've been I've been doing this for about 25 years now. And my book came out last year. And my mm. book has obviously propelled me into doing a lot of different events. And as I said, speaking and concern, all that. Prior to that, I was a big deal to about 1% of the planet. Nobody mm. else knew who the hell I was. I would get into events. And you would sometimes just see people looking at me thinking, well, who's that? I don't recognize him. Oh, I'm no one. You know? And I would tell people, oh, I own the valet company that are just looking after this party and they just let me sit in here or, oh, you know, this, uh, you know I'm, I'm the doorman. Oh, I'm part of the security. I would give these people lies um, and just let them carry on without them knowing that, you know, the owner of the party or the owner of the event is my client, you know? Yeah. And they're all running around trying to impress and blow smoke up their ass. And I'm just sitting there drinking a the whiskey going, yeah, all right, you know, do yourself. <laughs> But then oh. last year when the book came out, that's where my kind of secrecy kind of fell apart. And now, now I'm getting to do these shows and TV and, you know. Do you, re do you regret that at all? Because, yeah, now you're stepping into the spotlight a little bit. Uh, quick answer is yes. Um, the quick answer is, is, is hell yeah. Um, that yes, you, know, you do regret it. Yeah, my next door neighbors know who I am now. Um, uh. And you're just kind of like, oh, God. And, you know. I've, I've been in airports and I'm not trying to make it as I'm a celebrity or anything like that, but I've been in airports. I've been in, I've been in restaurants and I've had people come up and go, Oh, you know, I've made your book. Oh, I saw you on there. I'll be like, Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That part of fame, I would, I would lose in, in like a millisecond. Mm -hmm. Um, fame is a nasty, nasty cancer that I don't want anywhere in my life. Mm -hmm. That being said, 
it's given me a platform to actually be able to dictate a bit more of a world that I want to live in. I hate the fact that we're not communicating. I hate the fact that we're not building up relationships. And bearing in mind, me and you, we're, especially me, um, we're the slowest evolving technology there is in the planet. Okay? We've, we basically just got rid of webbed feet. You know, we are mm-hmm. slow. Everything in our bodies is deteriorating, yet technology is moving. And every time a new computer comes out, by the time it's in your hand, you know it's outdated. Yep. Um, but us as human beings, we still need people. We still need to communicate. We still need to connect, to relate. Yet everything else in the planet is actually killing that. And we, we're experiential. You know, we learn, we educate from touching a hot pan and going, fuck, that's hot. I'm not going to touch that anymore. From mm. going around a corner in a car too fast and going, whoa, I need to slow down there. And what's happening? There's pots now that are not hot on the outside. There's cars that drive themselves. We're losing <laughs> the ability to experience things, to feel things, to interact with other people. I see it as a very slippery slope. So the book has given me the ability to stand up on stage and saying, stop. Look at people in the eye. Have meals with the phones, not down, not on silent, nowhere near the bloody table. You know, one of the things I do with my clients is if a client uh, sends me an email, <coughs> I phone them up. And I go, hey, Pat, I got your email, but I just wanted to chat. I wanted to know, is there something that's missing that we haven't discussed? Mm. And they're like, whoa. Do you know how many people that when <laughs> you get, they get a phone call, they're surprised. Yeah. They're stunned. But they're also in awe that you took the time to phone them. And do you know, there's never been a phone call that I've ever made where we've just validated the points in the email and that's been it. It's always been a case of, do you know, I never thought of that. Or, well, if we're going to do that, maybe we should do it. It it, it grows. Now, hey, it's great for me because it's more business. It's more money. But more importantly, it's more of what they want. Yeah. And it shows you care. And in this world where we're being replaced by Amazon three seconds, that loyalty, I want that relationship. Oh, man. That, yeah, you're really talking about a much, much more profound, deep message for humanity. And you have the platform and the vehicle to show people what's possible if you bring your humanity to the table and a little imagination. And of course, uh, you know, uh, bottomless pockets with the world's elites, but it helps, but, um, well, but like you said, I mean, it it might be as simple and as impactful as a picnic lunch. Look, it doesn't have to be expensive to be impactful. And I want people to start thinking, and you can take that into business. How many times you look at your business and go, Oh my God, I wish this was better. Oh, there's a CRM program over there for 20 grand. I better get that. That will be the answer. That will be my blue pill. Um, And the fact is you get it and it's not. So I'm a great believer that the most primitive things are the most impactful and focus on them. I love that. Don't worry about CRM. Pick up the bloody phone and phone someone. Better still, invite them out for a whiskey tonight. Yep. Steve Sims. Wonderful conversation, man. This is, I, I would love to, uh, I'd love to sit back and, and have a little chat and, and keep hearing some more of these stories, some ones that are not uh, probably appropriate for the, for the <laughs> public podcast. But um, uh, thank you so much for your time today. The, uh, the book is Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. 
Steve Sims on available on Amazon and anywhere else people need to be aware of. You can get over to uh, stevedsims.com. That's uh, Steve D for dog Sims, S-I-M-S.com. That's got a whole bunch of uh, videos. And uh, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you actually get the playbook that's in the back of the book uh, free of charge. So you can uh, there we go. That, uh, see if you even like it. Nice. Now we're talking. Um, fantastic, man. Thank you again for this conversation. It's been awesome. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Was that not a fun interview? I had a blast uh, giving the interview, so I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Steve Sims is one of the most colorful guests I've interviewed thus far. It was a pleasure speaking with him. And now you know why they call him the real-life Wizard of Oz. I mean, some of the things that he's been able to pull off is just mind-boggling. If you'd like to connect with Steve, you can find him on his instagram or facebook at his handle at steve sims you can also find him on his website at stevedsims.com be sure to share this with your friends and tag me at wired for impact on both instagram and facebook that's at wired for impact all spelled out so please be sure to reach out and let me know until then we've got episode three now in the books great episodes coming up prepare to be inspired and until then listen to your heart follow that calling that purpose define that vision that makes the world a better place and deliver impact the world needs you now more than ever see you on the next episode